Hey everyone, welcome to the OFD Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Voles, Site Manager, Emperor, Supreme Warlord, and Defender of the Faith over at OneFootDown.com on the SB Nation Network. And I have a very, very special guest for everyone tonight. I, I think that uh, I think many of you might know him already. Uh, my boss, Matt Brown, Associate Director of College Brands over at SB Nation, as well as the author of the excellent Extra Points uh, newsletter. Matt, how you doing, buddy? Man, I, I, I appreciate you having me on here. I think I'm doing about as well as could could possibly be expected under the circumstances. I, I think it is about time that I come and, and uh, called into an accounting for all of my crimes, I, I think, against Notre Dame over the past couple of years. Yes, this is, this is what uh, this, this is what confession is, Matt. This is uh, you, <laughs> you, uh, you, you come before you come before and lay it all down. And I think you're going to leave this podcast feeling like a new man. You know, the, the weight of the world is going to come off your shoulders. So if some of you don't know uh, who Matt is, uh, besides everything I just said, he is also the uh, the creator and innovator and uh, the, the hype man for the Notre Dame is 4 and 8 meme back in 2016. Uh, it is, uh, it, it's still something that is th- that you'll see, uh, maybe not on a daily basis anymore, uh, but you definitely see it uh, a few times here and there. Uh, but throughout 2016, 2017, it was uh, all the rage, and uh, I, you cut a little bit of slack from Notre Dame fans, I, I would imagine. Oh yeah, and and let's face it, it was justifiable. Like, and and I have to I have to be honest here, right? Like, we'll we'll, we'll go right from the very beginning. I am from Ohio. I graduated from Ohio State. I grew up in a, in a relatively Catholic part of Ohio, and there were probably more Notre Dame fans where I grew up than anything other than Ohio State fans. Like, you know, Which that, part that, of Ohio? That, I, I grew up near Columbus okay, in, uh, in Licking County, so so maybe, maybe, oh, maybe yeah. not as oh, much yeah. as you might find in Cincinnati or, or maybe in Toledo, but, but you know. A, a village of four thousand people. Really part of Ohio, Matt. I, you know that. No. <laughs> there was a war. Thank you. We, <laughs> they we they could have Toledo back. Yeah, I mean, if we fought the war again, I'd rather have the Upper Peninsula than Toledo. But <laughs> you know, there, there, I probably internalized a little bit of not like really profound dislike, but but maybe just uh, picked up a little bit of the perceived unearned arrogance. That came with Notre Dame fandom, but if, if I had to list, you know, the five programs that I like dealing with the least, based on in my professional capacity, I don't think Notre Dame would be in there. But given the program and the fan base's, um, I guess, online connection, maybe with an older sort of a college football fan or one that maybe is more likely to defend uh, certain college football institutions or aristocracies and whatnot. Y- y'all are an easy fan base to make fun of. And oh, absolutely. I, 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 yeah. And, and I, I say this, I say this with love, right? There are some fan bases that have no sense of humor about themselves. Ohio state does not have a sense of humor about itself. Um, Michigan, Michigan, zero, uh, zero sense of humor. Uh, yeah. There's uh, a very uh, tiny, uh, there is a, there is a sliver. There is a sliver. There is. That. Yes. There's, there's a sliver that you and I, I think are friends with on the internet, but, but a lot of them, pretty humorless, right? Florida state humorless there, there, there are an, an, at least the Notre Dame people that, that I kind of interact with, um, have, have some sense of humor about it. And it, it was fun to, to bring up the 2016 season because it's, you know, just looking back on it, like th- that, that team wasn't that bad. 
it was just a collection of extremely bad luck, losing every single close game. And, you know, some of those close games were, were objectively funny. Like the, the, the NC State game in the hurricane, which you're throwing the balls you know, 55 times. It's, I mean, if you're obviously not for you, for me, it's funny. Like there are some losses when you don't have a, a, a stake in the action, uh, given that the fact that your head coach is maybe not as, as, as generically likable for, for a lot of other people. That's funny. Um, if, 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 you know, Duke going four and eight, not as funny. Rice going four and eight, not as funny. You, you see USC Florida, for that matter. What about matter. Florida going four and eight? Like, I've had, when, when this, when this meme comes up, I have so many Notre Dame fans flip out and a lot because of how many Florida fans Florida alums work for Vox Media and SP Nation. Oh, sure. <laughs> like, what about Florida's bad seasons? And they, well, they can't. I, yeah. <laughs> it's not quite as funny, I don't think. And, and the reason for that is Florida has only been good since like 1992. Like, you know, they've been playing football for over a hundred, you know, over a hundred years. Right. And they were, they, they just sucked for, for almost all of that. So Florida going four and eight, isn't quite as funny as Notre Dame or Michigan going four and eight would also be hilarious or, or Alabama going four and eight would be hilarious. It, th- pointing out that one double a Georgia Southern beat Florida is very funny. Like there can be, there can be specific <laughs> instances I think that are funny when Ohio state finally loses to a Mac team, um, regardless of how good Ohio state is that year, it will be very funny. The fact that will Muschamp beat Ohio state in a bowl game, like to me, <clears throat> less funny to the world at large, objectively hilarious. And and these are the kind of things that, that you just kind of have to, to suck up a little bit. And I wasn't intending, I think to make this a meme per se, but it kept getting a reaction. And, and, and because, you know, I'm a hamster going after pellets and everything. I realized that, um, this, this this was this was a cheap way to make a bunch of people laugh. It's a cheap way to make my coworkers <laughs> laugh. Um, I, and even though nobody else on the internet thinks it's funny now, my coworkers still think it's funny. So it's mostly I I, I realize this is this is empty coming from me, but it really isn't personal. You know, th- th- those jokes were as nothing else as much of a signaling device to go make Alex Kirshner laugh than it was about <laughs> purposely trying to get a rise. At a Notre Dame fan, I wanted did, to do that. You did show up. Different- you did show up at a political rally with a let's not <laughs> with a four and eight <laughs> side, did you not? I did. I did. And, and bless his heart, man. Like the political director from like the NBC affiliate in South Bend was there. It, this was this was early in the Trump presidency, and it was when the the first like immigration ban I think it w- was first dropping. And I'm a child of immigrants, and like that's an issue that's important to me. And I went to a rally, and I, I brought a sign that said. Uh, <clears throat> you know, like don't let Notre Dame's four and eight record of 2016 distract you from the fact that blocking immigrants is wrong. And this poor political reporter from <laughs> South Bend was like, I don't know what the hell this sign has to do with anything. And then, you know, college football Twitter sees it. They start cracking up and this guy, you know, was completely missed out on the joke. But I, I mean, like if, if you if you're listening to this and you think I'm full of shit and you want to dislike me for it, like, listen. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna hold a grudge against you. I think that's justifiable. I would hate me too. But I swear it really wasn't personal. It's and and when when Alabama misses a bowl game, or when Michigan misses a bowl game, or when something like this happens to a blue, just a, the bluest of bloods that never has a bad season like this, I will I will join the th- the throngs of the next of the next fan base to rub it in their faces. And when that happens to Ohio State, you are more than welcome to do the same for me. That may be a little while. Uh, <laughs> that may that may take a bit. Uh, the way might, that they're yeah. uh, they're pulling in talent. So uh, yeah. Well, hey, let me, to... so, so let me ask you then. So 
with all this for with all the four and eight stuff, uh, and that was right after Notre Dame had had gone to the Fiesta Bowl and got waxed uh, by Ohio State, um, yeah, 2015. But that was a double digit win season for Notre Dame. But since 2016, I, Notre Dame has had three double digit win seasons in a row. Uh, I, personally, I felt they got extremely hosed <laughs> for half of the season last year uh, to the pollsters. I don't know how anyone sits at number 16 blowing teams out by 30 points for five weeks in a row. Uh, but, uh, whatever it is, what it is, but coming off of that season. And like you said, there was a, it, they weren't as bad as like 2007 Notre Dame three, you know, three and nine Notre Dame. They weren't comically bad. It was just like a, a comedy of errors, uh, rather in 2016 with, the, with those losses. How did you, I mean, did you see that coming at all? I mean, cause it's, it's a really good Notre Dame program right now. That's, uh, that Brian Kelly, completely turned around to all the changes. What do you have to say about any of that? Oh, it, it makes no sense at all. And that's part of why I think it's funnier, even, even though I, I can understand it. it it's frustrating. <laughs> like clearly the skeleton of the Notre Dame football program is in great shape. The program recruits at, you know, at either at a blue chip level or very close to it. <clears throat> they win most of their games. They're a perennial top 15 team. They were at the beginning of the Brian Kelly era up at you know, 2012 and they are now. And while I don't know if I picked them as a playoff team in 2020, if we have a 2020, like would I put them as a, as a top 15 team? Sure. And it's very, very rare <clears throat> for a team to be achieve double digit win level success, have that kind of dip and then come back. Sometimes you have that dip and that means that the coach just you know lost his fastball or, or gave up and you have a, a Jimbo kind of season. It, it's, it's a rare thing. And I really think it's just because you had a bunch of injuries uncommonly bad luck in one possession games. Um, and I get why that's frustrating. Brian Van like, Gorder yeah. as your defensive coordinator. You gave Brian Van Gorder money to do football things. Like I get it, <clears throat> but like, I look at that, that was an eight and four team that just happened to go four and eight. And and that happens to somebody every year. It just usually isn't you guys. Right. <clears throat> at least, at least we thought, at least we thought that was behind us. Yeah. <laughs> you know, until I, that, then, then the demons get exercised and everyone gets a little, everyone gets a little touchy. It was, I mean, after the NC state game, I, I think I jumped, jumped on like Facebook live and I don't, it wasn't even, the game wasn't even over yet. There was still like two minutes left and I was already like, I'm doing post game right now. Uh, and absolutely lost my mind about the need to fire Brian Kelly. The problem was, is that once Notre Dame decided to keep Brian Kelly shouting into the abyss about firing Brian Kelly just did not feel like a, uh, a something that I wanted to keep, doing because it was pointless. Uh, so, you know, you, it really it divided the fan base even more than what it is now. So it makes it, it makes the internet even more interesting. Uh, then you throw in the meme getting tossed around and it's the one thing to bring both sides together, I guess, Matt. Uh, yeah. <laughs> is that it'll piss off everybody. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, look, you, you, I, I, I don't think I've really mentioned it in a while. <clears throat> You've had a good team for several years. Excuse me. <coughs> it's not Corona, I promise. Um, and, <laughs> and we're going we're gonna to have another high-profile team completely fall on their face. Maybe this year we all get to make fun of Texas A&M, and then everybody will forget that Notre Dame went 4-8 in 2016. Uh, Notre Dame will definitely like that, uh, considering the uh, departure of Mike Elko to Texas A&M. Let, let's, so let's move on now. Uh, you brought up uh, 2020, and, uh, and honestly, there is a – there is a big scare right now that there may not be a football season. That's 
the way things are, it's still unknown. I don't care what anyone has said, uh, whether it's the president, uh, a doctor, all that. Things are too up in the air to, to really know. But but uh, one of the big things on our side that we've been talking about is even if even if everything's good to go, you know, say June, uh, there's a big, you know, a big question if Notre Dame and Navy actually do travel to Ireland. Do, do you have any thoughts on any of that? Yeah, I mean – I, I, should, I, I mean, and should they, if it's, if everything's all cleared by June or July, I mean, should they even risk it? I, it's, it's hard for me to imagine based on what we're seeing right now, how everything would go back completely to normal by June. And I do think it is completely appropriate for fit for fans and certainly for athletic directors and coaches and everybody to grapple with the possibility that we might either have a delayed season, a truncated season or a canceled season. We, you know, it's, it's the nearing the end of March right now. We're still probably a couple of weeks away from the peak of this thing. We don't really know when a vaccine is going to come out. We don't really know how other countries are going to are, are responding. We've really barely begun to do the testing. And given how dangerous this, 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 this illness is, we have to err on the side of caution. Um, it would surprise me, I think, for anybody to do a big international trip at the, at the at the beginning of the season, even if like the best case scenario happens and things do uh, start on time, um, just because we're going to have to have a, a summer camp you know, to make up for all those spring practices that didn't right. happen. You're going to have to squeeze in a bunch of stuff into June and July and the beginning of August, which will make some of those logistical preparations difficult. It seems like it would make more sense to refund people's money and hold it in Annapolis or Baltimore or, you know, on, on someone's campus um, and, and look into doing that a, a little bit later on. I can't say for certain, and, and I don't think anybody can right now whether we're going to have a season, but I think if we are, we're going to have to start seeing some some pretty substantial changes relatively quickly. Um, just given how risky getting 85, 90,000 people in one place, uh, it really is going to be. Right. This, I mean, I mean, regardless, it, the the virus itself is not going to just going to like disappear into into thin air. Uh, so I, I mean, I really, it's going to have to have some kind of big breakthrough in a vaccine or whatever in a short period of time, which is generally not how these things work. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, we're, we're really sitting at a risk of a, of a, I don't know. Do you think they would do an abbreviated season? I mean, and I, th- I think anything is possible because I've written about this a fair amount on extra points. The, um, the revenue that football generates is absolutely crucial to every single athletic department. There is no giant NBC TV contract without Notre Dame actually playing football games. There's no enormous Big Ten or SEC television revenue distribution without football games. And then it's not just the TV money. It's the ticket sales. It's the $12 beers. It's the parking. It's all of the alumni donations that is directly tied into football. That pays for almost everything. And we've already, we're already looking at um, an NCAA tournament check that's going to be 20, 25% of what it normally is this year. And so I think schools are going to be like any possible way we can salvage this, even if it means in empty stadiums, even if it means we lop off all of non-conference play and start the season October 1, anything we could possibly do to get some of that money, we're going to try and do it. Um, and hopefully it, it means we, we still play a, a, as close to a regular kind of season as possible. But um, it would require some good luck to happen. And I think we should, I don't know, maybe I don't know if worry is the right word because none of us can control any of this, but I think prepare ourselves intellectually for that. 
Does this put Liberty at an advantage since uh, they, they might actually even <laughs> they're going to have kids back on campus in spring? Oh, man, I don't This would be a good year to maybe not play trigger the Libs University. Like, I, can't, I can't believe this. And, and, and that's a school I, that has a, a greater capacity for online learning at scale than anybody else in FBS. And they're doing this just to stick it to the Libs. Like I would I, I would not want to play them this year. I think. They, or any year for that matter. Like that's, that's not a, that's not a team that it makes moral or any sense to have on your football schedule. I would just think that a, that a school that has tried to, to reshape its image through athletics the way that they have, because I mean, they absolutely have tried to reshape to prove themselves as, as a, as a real university with athletics that they would try to fall in line just a, just a little bit more than, uh, than what's going on. It, and that, that was amazing. I think that was one of the things that that uh, shocked me the most today. Uh, of all the five thousand things you see uh, news wise, it's like you've got to be kidding. Me. I mean, it didn't surprise me, uh, but it, it's still shocking to to see that. Yeah, I mean, like it, you bring them up, and you hear people at Liberty, and particularly in their athletic department, that point to Notre Dame or point to BYU, a school closer to my heart, as um, aspirational institutions. Like we want to be a Notre Dame of evangelical protestantism right well can you imagine notre dame's president or athletic director like going to new buffalo and encouraging like part of michiana to like secede into indiana no could, could you imagine like and like notre dame deliberately going out to like pick a political fight <clears throat> or like oh no we're now we're only serving freedom fries now no it's some fielding yost crap like this this isn't something that grown-up yeah. universities that are that are secure in themselves do i don't even know what byu's president looks like uh, let alone, like I can't even imagine him pulling some kind of stunt like this. That is, it is, it is not what my people do. Um, that's not the way that you win this kind of respect. That's what you do if you're trying to be Oral Roberts East Coast, and that's kind of what Liberty has become right now. Oral Roberts East Coast with computers. Absolutely, absolutely. Hey, we're going to take a, uh, a quick break here, and we come back. We're going to we're going to talk uh, talk more about uh, some rivalries with Notre Dame uh, uh, after after a quick break. All right, and we we're back, and we've we've mentioned already, uh, Matt, uh, my most excellent boss here. Now you, you had a lot to live up to since Caroline came on uh, came last year, uh, <laughs> so uh, you're doing a good job. You're doing a good job. I, I think you're winning hearts and minds everywhere. Uh, but <laughs> one of the things that you uh, that you've written about recently, um, and I, I thought you did a pretty good job, was talking about USC's situation out with a Pac-12 and. Something I think a lot of Notre Dame fans would like to see more of is, is you know, we're happy with our independence and we see what independence can actually do for a program. And we and I think a lot of us think we're not the only ones that can do this. There is a not many, but there is a small set of there's a, you know, a small list of schools that could actually pull this off if they wanted to. And I think if they did that, it would kind of kind of, you know, make things, you know, more right in this whole realignment world. Uh, you know, it's not for everybody. And we understand that. Uh, I tried talking to central Florida guys, uh, and did going independent, uh, last year on a podcast. They, they weren't hearing it. I think that'd be their best interest, but, uh, USC going independent, I think would be, is something that I think they could actually do. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, this is an idea that isn't just like a fever dream of West Virginia bloggers, I think, at this point. Like this is something that has a little bit of real traction because (laughs) 
USC's athletic director in an interview a couple of weeks ago with, I believe, their 247 affiliate was asked if he would consider you know, going down that road, uh, given how dissatisfied USC and, quite frankly, a lot of the Pac-12 institutions are with their revenue situation. They're looking at a potentially massive gap. It's already pretty big, but just maybe you know, twice as large with the Big Ten and SEC in five or six years after this next round of TV deals. And he and, and, and the bone basically just said, like, hey, nothing, nothing's off the table. And then CBS calls for clarification. He's like, no, we're not looking to leave the Pac-12, but I don't want to walk back from those comments either. Like, we, we have to fix this. Um, and if, hey, if, if NBC wants to call us and give us a similar deal that they gave Notre Dame, of course I'll listen. You're right. I think that there's only a small segment of schools that could potentially pull this off because what you need is not just football success. You need enough – uh, brand juice to be able to to, to get a, a major linear cable network. It can't be somebody like Apple TV or uh, DAZN or any or you know Flow Sports or something. It has to be a, a conventional linear um, partner because the coaching staff and everybody wants you to have as much exposure as possible. It doesn't matter if you get a check. You don't, you think, this, check. You don't think this would work if like uh, if if Netflix decided they wanted to get into. You know, more into mainstream sports, uh, Netflix, Amazon. I mean, <clears throat> right now, I, I I don't think so, because even if they did, even if Amazon went out there and was offering to give a, a, a team or a league a 25 percent bump, you still get way more over exposure and access to eyeballs over ESPN, ABC, NBC. And what, what these coaches and administrators want to be able to sell in recruiting is Nana can watch you play. Everybody can watch you play. All you have to do is turn on the TV. You don't have to get an app. You don't have to get some extra thing. And the schools that are behind those paywalls have to battle that in recruiting with schools that don't. This is, this is why UConn left the American Athletic. It wasn't just over money. It was they didn't want to put the sports that people actually care about, men's and women's basketball, behind paywalls where people co- couldn't go into a bar to watch them. And that's like the other issue. You put this on Amazon, it's much harder to go into a bar and watch it collectively. Now, that doesn't mean <coughs> that USC couldn't attract that kind of interest. I think they could. I think Texas could. I think a couple of Big Ten teams could. A couple of SEC teams could. Teams that, that have a ton of history, teams that have a large fan base congregated in major population centers across multiple cities. You know, There are USC fans. A lot of them are in Los Angeles, our second biggest TV market, but they're all over California too. Notre Dame fans are obviously nationwide. That's true for a couple other programs. I don't think this is imminent, but if, if, if NBC or potentially CBS, who now is going to be interested in other uh, college football rights now that right. they don't have the SEC anymore, I think that that's a call you would at least have to take. And that would probably benefit Notre Dame because then you're going to have a little bit more schedule flexibility with where you face, where you face USC during the season. I well, think not according certainly, to them. <laughs> yeah, well, it would be, but like for UCF or anybody in the American or anybody you know that doesn't have a cable network like BYU that's in a ton of cable packages, I don't really see how you could do it. Now, I think I, the NBC thing is the one that intrigues me the most, and and for for multiple reasons. One of the big ones is like, you know, you're talking about a basically East Coast and West Coast product. Where they could have two games in a day, you know, in a day, obviously, and I, you know, one right after the other. Uh, and then obviously, the, 
each year there'd be the big showdown between Notre Dame and USC. Uh, and then you'd have, I mean, maybe that'd be the end of the year game we could get, where we could finally get SC out to South Bend uh, in November. Uh, but I think that would be a huge, I think that would be something extremely attractive to, to NBC. Uh, I, I know it'd be attractive for, you know, to Notre Dame to, to high, highlight the game. Cause I mean, we call it the greatest intersectional rivalry in college football. And like, but there are no other intersectional rivalries in college, college football. I mean, truly. Uh, so that, you know, that's the, it's the one and only, and it's a big one. Uh, and yeah. to be able to highlight that now we need SC to, to get back up to a, another level, you know, to, to make that game one of your big games of the year each year again. But, uh, I think the NBC, I think if NBC, if USC was the jump to say, okay, this is what we're going to do this. And NBC offered that to him. I think that would be extremely beneficial, uh, to both, to everyone involved, SC, NBC and Notre Dame, uh, give a little, little extra juice maybe. Yeah. I mean, I think it would make the most sense for NBC than anybody else. <clears throat> NBC sports rights model. Uh, sorry, excuse me. <clears throat> has generally been only to pursue sports rights where they own the entire thing. Like they're, they're not bidding on a share of the of the Big Ten rights, a share of the Atlantic Ten or anything. They want Notre Dame lock, stock, and barrel. They want the Ivy League lock, stock, and barrel. USC would, would give them the opportunity to do that. The, only, the question then for USC is will, could NBC or theoretically somebody else give them an offer that would exceed what the Pac-12 would be able to get from ESPN in 2025? And I think in order to do that, USC would need to get a, a, a distribution of probably at least $40 million a year. Like, that's a lot of money. Um, and then yeah. they need to find a place to park their other sports. I think it is probable they could get a spot in the WCC, which would you know give you a pretty decent basketball league with Gonzaga, St. Mary's, and BYU. And that's a multi-bid league for women's basketball and baseball. And USC is already in a different volleyball league. Um, but if you can't get that, that also changes things too. So I don't think any of this is imminent by any means. Although I do, I would say, given how disruptive I think coronavirus is going to be across all of Division One for college athletic budgets, I would not at all be shocked if by 2022 we see some other alignment, maybe not necessarily at the FBS level, but certainly at the Division One level, meant to consolidate costs. And maybe schools or leagues or administrators who weren't having those kind of conversations now will at least take those meetings. Yeah, I think that was something that I, I was f- funny you bring that up because that was something I was going to ask you about. Uh, because just a, maybe a, a month ago, uh, the, the talk was that, you know, it, we're kind of at a stalemate right now as far as conference realignment goes. Uh, I think Andy Staples talked about it uh, on his podcast uh, where he just kind of saw like, you know, there's there's nowhere for anyone really to go. Uh, but there was only, you know, one other option. And that was if uh, the Big 12 decided to make um, make a big move, like theoretically grabbing, doing, doing to the Pac-12 what they try to do to the Big 12 back in 2010. Uh, and then now the, the talk has kind of come up a little bit because of what you said with coronavirus. And now maybe they want to regionalize a little more. Maybe, I mean, West Virginia is in such a bad position. That's funny. You brought that up. Are they, are they complaining about wanting to be independent? Because I can't, I can't imagine them actually being happy uh, playing in the big 12. They're, they're happy getting the Big 12 checks. They, they know right, what the alternative right. is. They know they don't really have anywhere else to but go. Fa- but fans, I always find it ridiculous. Like, and this goes doubly for Notre Dame fans. It's always about – fans talk about money more than they have any idea what the hell they're even talking about. Uh, and, and they talk about it more than they should because 
I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's, it's obviously what, je- what, what drives everything. Right. But as far as like yep. your happiness, like it, it doesn't make me, I don't care if Notre Dame gets an extra $30 million or, you know, or then, or if, you know, Purdue's making more money on their TV deal, Notre Dame, I don't care. That doesn't bother me. Uh, but what matters to me is my happiness as a fan and being able to watch the, you know, watch the program and, and how it performs. I can't imagine West Virginia fans to that extent are happy with, you know, especially like away, you know, away games and all. It's such a, a odd fit. It's one of the odder fits, you know, out there. You know, I've covered a couple of West Virginia games since this has happened, and I've asked fans about that when I go into tailgates. And the, the kind of over the prevailing thought is <clears throat> that I've been heard is, you know, hey, we like playing Texas, we like playing Oklahoma. Those are cool environments. We miss Pitt. Right. Like that, that matters to us. Syracuse matters to us, which is like a weird thing to say out loud, but it's true for West Virginia. (laughs) You know, regional opponents matter for us. Travel partners would be, would be nice. Um, So I don't, I I have no idea how any of that stuff's going to end up. When when I talk about a realignment, it's something I've written a lot about and I really believe it. I think right now it is unlikely we're going to see power five realignment. But I do think it is probable that we'll see quite a bit at the Division One level as schools try to consolidate costs and consolidate around universities where there's a greater institutional fit. It's happening right now at the Atlantic Sun, uh, trying to start an FCS um, football league. They don't they don't currently sponsor that, but there could be a lot of, of moving parts within the the southern schools at the FCS level. We're seeing it out west at the FCS level with the WAC and the Big Sky and some teams moving up. I think it is entirely possible we may see that with the Sun Belt and Conference USA. We're seeing it with the Summit League. Like these are things that I think will continue to happen, especially if in a couple of years some teams at the lower end of D1 again might be talking about basketball schools decide we can't keep doing this. Well, I think that that gets to the point where the ACC or the Big Ten make a big change. Probably not. And and a couple of years ago, it seemed like that was likely to happen with Texas being the catalyst. I think that is much more unlikely now. But I mean, that all being said, we're, we're staring at a world where some states could conceivably have 20 percent unemployment in three months. And it could right. be the, the most the most disruptive force in college football since World War Two. Certainly since Regents v. Board of Trustees, um, the the 1984 Supreme Court case that deregulated uh, television broadcasts, like we're looking into a big unknown. And uh, just so I want to backtrack just one quick second about uh, with SC, you know, when we saw conference realignment, uh, you know, earlier this decade, God, what a wild time that was. Um, But the pettiness uh, obviously the bad blood, uh, you know, that, that came through all of it. And uh, so you got, you got programs like Texas, Texas, Texas A&M, uh, that will, unless they're in a bowl game, are probably never going to play each other again. Uh, but could you see if SC would do a jump like that, uh, would, uh, would the pac 12, the pac 12 schools, especially the, like you, UCLA, do you think they would be equally as petty, like keep them off their, their out of conference schedule? It would be difficult for me to imagine a world where USC left the Pac-12 and UCLA was still there. Um, USC has historically tried to leave the league a couple of times. Like the, you know, they're they're concerned over why should I let Washington State and Oregon State and these pores dictate what I do? Like that's been a, 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 a conflict since the start of this league. They they nearly left if they. Uh, 
if the Pac-12 wouldn't add the Arizona schools back in, I think, the early 70s. And um, UCLA said, we're going to go too. Um, when the Pacific Coast Conference dissolved, it was the L.A. schools that wanted to go somewhere else. U- UCLA tried to join the Ivy League. They tried to go independent. They tried a couple of other things. I would imagine if USC goes independent, UCLA is either doing the same thing or this league is disintegrating and they're starting something else up. Those two schools are tied at the hip. Um, and it would be difficult for me to imagine a way that the, that conference continues to thrive with one L.A. school. I mean, did Larry Scott just completely screw this whole thing up? I mean, they seemed like they were they really seemed like they were in the driver's seat. They legitimately in that driver's seat um, back before Texas kind of uh, uh, put the kibosh on all that. But even after even after, the, you know, all that, they seemed like they were going to be the ones that came out of this. Uh, kind of ahead, and nothing has materialized. I mean, nothing has materialized the same way. Uh, not to mention just their their lack lack of success on the football field as far as you know contention for a true for a national championship. Yeah, I I don't think I think a lot of it's not his fault to be honest. Like we we can look back and say Larry Scott did one thing wrong, and the Pac-12 CEOs and president said, "Go get us the the uh, the highest revenue generating." deal you possibly can. And he did that with signing a contract with ESPN and Fox and retaining ownership of the Pac-12 network rather than finding a partner. And it looked like in 2011 or 12 when this happened, that this was not a crazy bet, that they would be able to sell that inventory to somewhere else and potentially make a lot more money or that the marketplace would go digital sooner than it actually did. That didn't happen. And then furthermore, Um, the the fortunes that happened on the field fell apart. And not all of that's Larry Scott's fault, right? Like Larry Scott didn't make Chip Kelly forget how to recruit. Larry Scott didn't screw up things with Rich Rodriguez at Arizona. Larry Scott didn't, uh, you know, screw up UCLA basketball coaching hires. He didn't get half the league tied up with the FBI. There's been a, a lot of unforced coaching errors. You have the university scandal happening with USC. That's not Larry Scott's, Larry Scott's fault either. But the, because of that he's an easy guy to make fun of with the kind of conspicuous opulence and a lot of the press that he did at the beginning of that tenure. It's easy to point and laugh at him. But like the thing is they could fire him tomorrow, <coughs> replace him with a conventional um, athletic director that the college, you know, athletics business thinks high, well of like Rick George at Colorado. And none of their problems are going to be fixed. Because they're still going to go into that television negotiation right. a couple of years in that same difficult position. What would help the whole league is some of those universities making better decisions that the conference can't do for you. Okay, great. Right, I got two final questions for you, Matt. And the, the first one, uh, first one is something I've, I've we've put forward for for a while now. Uh, was is Notre Dame, who is now the probably going to be the it's the three year reigning. Uh, Big Ten champions in hockey uh, is. <laughs> do you think Jim Delaney was satisfied at all uh, that Notre Dame has a Big Ten logo uh, on their campus as well as Big Ten <laughs> championship banners flying somewhere? I'm, think I'm sure he's uh, vindified. He's thrilled about that. I mean, he definitely wanted more Big Ten banners hanging in Notre Dame, and you know that gambit in the late <laughs> '90s didn't work out. <clears throat> it's interesting. Like from a fan's perspective, I think having Notre Dame there is wonderful. I do think that 
the Big Ten has not supported Big Ten, Big Ten hockey the way that I think that they expected it to. They thought this was going to be a revenue-generating sport for the league. You have these enormous brands and resources, and there, there's no reason that this couldn't be the one of, the, if not the one of the two premier hockey leagues in the country. And that hasn't totally happened yet. You have a new commissioner now that's very much a hockey guy. He's talked about how he wants to make that important. You're allegedly going to have Illinois join this league in a few years, potentially another Big Ten team or two. Um, I'm glad that Notre Dame's been able to have some success. I'm glad that they've been able to boost the the median level of of this league. I think there's a a lot of room to grow for Big Ten hockey, and that would benefit everybody. Yeah, I I gotta tell you though, over the last uh, three four years, um, I've been a hockey guy my whole life. uh, But just the last three four years, I mean, college hockey for me is really it's this it's my number two sport after after college football. It is definitely uh, college hockey and. Thanks to uh, the to MB or NBCSN, uh, the Big Ten Network, which I, I need to cancel my uh, my monthly uh, thing. Got <laughs> the Big Ten getting more money out of me, uh, but because they're you know they're on TV now, it's not just some random thing you you can find on the internet. Uh, you can you can get it through all your subscriptions. It's been a it's been something else. I and I am with you. I really hope that this league uh, grows because college hockey is an awesome awesome thing to watch. Uh, it's very competitive and, and really, uh, it's kind of, I mean, it's wild. I mean, the year Notre Dame went to, uh, uh, you know, to the finals against Minnesota Duluth, Minnesota Duluth wasn't supposed to, they weren't supposed to be there. Uh, one of Notre Dame's late season wins, uh, <laughs> that they didn't even need to have helped boost Duluth right into the, the pairwise rankings. Uh, and so they owed Notre Dame. And so they took it out on us <laughs> in the championship game. So, uh, but I couldn't imagine. I mean, th- it's a nice, fun joke to have about uh, Jim Delaney finally getting Notre Dame in the Big Ten uh, to hang some banners up on in South Bend. Uh, <laughs> and then last, I just want to know, you know, let's just let's just say we have a season. Let's just say that, you know, a miracle, miracle from God happens uh, and the season uh, starts without a hitch uh, and we have a full season. How do you. How do you view Notre Dame this uh, in 2020, and and how do what what are their what's their outlook according to you? You know, I have probably not mentally engaged with the X's and O's of this football season like I normally would at this point of the year, just because I've been so focused on tracking finance and tracking these other things that are happening here with with, with the sport and and administratively. So I think I'd have to spend a little bit more time. Um, I'm sorry, I'm coughing so much here. This is, I know it's very, very compelling radio, but, um, <laughs> I'm really excited for that, that late, you know, that November game hosting Clemson. It's, it's rare to get, um, a Southern team of that caliber playing on the road against a Northern team. That's that good. Like I know what they have to play at Boston college and Pitt. Sometimes those teams don't count. Um, it's, it's, it's not the same kind of campus experience or anything. I, I think that's really good TV. I, uh, Looking at Notre Dame against Georgia last year and a couple of times that I watched him, it seemed like they had done a really, really good job of coaching the both sides of the line of scrimmage. And they just did not have the skill position horses to compete with the top five or six teams in college football. And that's not a, a real slam on them. Like nobody else does either. Um, looking right. at this, yeah, looking at the schedule, I think they could easily still win at least nine games, but they would need to have some improvement on offense significantly from last season, if I was to buy them as anything more than a potential top 12 kind of team. Okay. 
Okay. <coughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, hey, I, th- I think we'll we'll leave you we'll leave you with that. How about that? So yep, now that you came <laughs> on and and uh, you you may have coupled uh, your four and eight in a way. <laughs> yeah. Put some minds at ease. Yeah. Listen, if you want to if you want to keep hollering at me for my terrible jokes, you can reach me at Matt Brown. CFB. I know there's a blue check mark there. It says that I work for the athletic. Why <laughs> go yell at that guy uh, and, and his, his terrible jokes? And you can subscribe to Extra Points. It's uh, it's free if you're interested in reading a little bit more about the outside forces that shape college football, whether that's finance, media rights, politics, demographics, all of those things. Right now, uh, COVID nineteen. All matter. Yep, you can find that at mattbrown.substack.com or at my real Twitter account, um, at mattbrownep. Please, please leave the other Matt Brown alone. He's a very polite man. <laughs> yeah, I will uh, I will have the link for the uh, for the newsletter, which I really encourage everyone to read. There is a lot of good stuff in there that, uh, out you know, out, outside of the box, maybe, if you want, want to say that. But it, a lot of stuff that has to do with uh, the driving engine of college football and college athletics in general. Uh, check that out. Uh, it's, it's a good read. So. I want to thank you again, Matt, for taking the time. Uh, I, we're, all, we're all busy being uh, teachers and cooks and bartenders for our children. Uh, and the, these few hours in the evening are, are usually kind of wind down time or catch up time, if you will. Uh, so I thank you for taking the time. Yeah, no no problem. Uh, happy to do it. Um, hopefully next time we chat, it's, it's about happier things. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, that's it for the OFD podcast. And as always, go Irish. Go Irish.